Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to be talking a little about cation exchange capacity. And we'll also be taking your calls and questions. If you would like to visit with us about anything going on in your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on X, AgPhD Media, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, cation exchange capacity. I want to explain just real quickly what it is and why it's important, in my opinion. So cation exchange capacity is a measurement of the type of clay you have, the amount of clay, and the amount of organic matter. Obviously, you can't change the clay that's in your soil, so the only one of those three things you can change is your amount of organic matter. Here's the reason why we like having cation exchange capacity figures. It's because very often we're told by farmers, oh, I have heavy soil, and we look at the the soil test and we go, well, your cation exchange capacity says you're you're at an eight. That to us is light soil. Well, it's my heavy soil. Or a few years ago, I was in Canada talking to a guy, and he goes, "Yeah, take a look at my light sandy ground here, and what see what you think." And I go, "Light and sandy? That's a 33 cec." And he goes, "Well, that's my light ground. Here's my heavy ground. It was a 41 cec." So anyway, the the whole point of this is. So we're all talking the same language. So nobody can say high or low, heavy or light. It's, hey, it's this cation exchange capacity. All right, now we know what we're dealing with. Now, the one thing that I do want to say is cation exchange capacity can actually be measured out in your soil. It typically is not, though. The faster, cheaper way is just to calculate it. So the way that they'll calculate it, they're going to look at all the cations your soil is holding, and then you get a reading. This can be off sometimes if, let's say, you've got free lime in your soil, or like Midwest Labs, they will call it excess lime. If you have that, there's so much calcium in the soil, the soil can't even hold it all. So you get an artificially high reading on cation exchange capacity. So that's the reason why they have that excess lime test right on your soil test. If you ever see it medium or high, you know that your cation exchange capacity will be overstated. But this really only happens in heavy soil anyway. So instead of a soil being a 20, it might be a 30 or it might be a 40. But even if you got rid of all that excess lime, you're still talking really heavy soil. All right. With cation exchange capacity, one of the things we use it for is we say take 10 times your CEC or cation exchange capacity number, and that will give you a rough idea. There's no exact science here, but that'll give you a rough idea on how much nitrogen your soil can hold at any one time. So for example, let's say you come back and you get a 15 CEC. 15 times 10 is 150 pounds. Let's say your soil is already sitting there with 40 pounds left from last year. All right, it can hold 150, we subtract off 40, I'd apply a maximum of 110 pounds. Again, this is not an exact science, and this also doesn't mean that that nitrogen is going to stay there forever. So you can't put it out in August the year before and expect that in June the following year it's still going to be there. Not happening. But this just gives you a general idea for how conservative or aggressive you can be with your nitrogen rates. Okay, and just kind of keep in mind with all things soils nothing is exact 
There are no exact rules. We're just trying to get in the general range, the general ballpark, and then we're, we feel like we're in pretty good shape. And the data has led us to a lot of these things. So, again, when we talk 10 times the cation exchange capacity, that is not the amount of nitrogen you can apply because you got to look at what's already in the soil. It's the amount that we would say roughly your soil can hold at any one time. And again, it's not an exact number, so please don't take this as, oh, this is a hard and fast rule. But <laughs> whenever we bring this up, people always say, well, how much can I push it? And what if it's, uh, you know, close to when the crop's going to use the nitrogen? What if I use a nitrogen stabilizer? What if I use this other form of nitrogen? Look common sense has to play into this. And so let's say it is the middle of the summer and you know darn well that your corn crop is growing at a tremendously high rate using lots of nitrogen every single day. Well, obviously you can probably push it a little bit more then as opposed to if you're putting it out in the fall, six or seven months prior to when the nitrogen is going to get used by crop, that's when you don't really want to be pushing it at all. And you got to use your head whenever we start talking about, okay, what's the timing? What's the rate? What form of nitrogen we're, are we going to use? So just talk to your agronomist about some of these things, but just always kind of keep in, in your mind, light soil, heavy soil, whatever. You really want to look at the cation exchange capacity number, and then we can all be talking the same language. All right, so let's go back to the thing that I said you could change in cation exchange capacity, and that is soil organic matter. Because we get a lot of people that say, well, I have lighter soil and I'd like to increase my holding capacity of the soil. Because cation exchange capacity is basically telling you your soil's ability to hold water, hold nutrients, hold everything. So if you want to increase that, how do you do it? Well, the only way is to increase your soil's organic matter. Well, what's the best way to do that? Well, number one, you want to cut your tillage. I'm not saying you have to eliminate tillage, but you definitely want to go very reduced till, if not no-till. You want to plant crops with lots of roots because most organic matter is built not from the residue laying on the soil surface. It's built from root mass below ground. Remember, roughly the size of a plant above ground is approximately the size of the root mass below ground in a lot of cases. Like corn, just think about how massive that root mass really is. It's huge. Okay, so plant crops with lots of roots that will help you build soil organic matter faster. In addition to that, use manure or compost on a fairly regular basis. Use cover crops when possible, and then use some biological products as well. So those are our top five tips for increasing soil organic matter. All right, so throughout the show today, we're going to talk a little about cation exchange capacity, and we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. That's all coming up. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. We're going to get to the phone lines right after this. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Do you want to optimize the amount of plant nutrition provided by the microbes in your soil? Source it. Want to replace 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre? Source it. Looking for a more cost-effective way to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI? Source it. Easy to handle, apply, and store. To make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Learn more at sound.ag. Get the most from every acre on your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, a soils clinic, and a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Register today at agphd.com. Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash basic. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about cation exchange capacity, and we get a lot of questions about the soils exchange capacity, how you can utilize that information on your farm and set up a recommendation, or how you can be more successful with your crops by knowing that number, among other things. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. We'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Got our friend Paul Borges with us right now. He uh, talks about this stuff on a daily basis in his job at Stanislaus Farm Supply out in California. Paul, how you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? We are doing well. We are doing well. All right. Now, I know... Uh, when you, you get a test back from uh, Kinsey Ag, you get total exchange capacity. We're talking about cation exchange capacity. It's pretty close. It's it's kind of similar. Yeah. Talk, talk to us about those things and, and why they're important to include on your soil test. Yeah. I find one of the most important numbers or things you want to see on your soil test is the CEC or TEC because that's going to tell you what kind of game you're going to be playing in, real heavy ground, medium ground, or what we have down here quite a bit uh, below sand real sandy ground where it's everything you do is is controlled because <clears throat> the sandier it gets the less we all know it holds so when it comes to fertilizer uh, placement timing is very key uh, and all the irrigation fields that we have and we, we have controlled irrigation it becomes like a spoon spoon feeding effect where if you irrigate for example 12 hours you're probably going to run fertilizer the last eight hours of the day or of the irrigation set keep the food in that root zone area depending on your soil type and this goes i mean there's all kinds of things you have to look at we got uh anywhere from pc of eight to four it all changes more because of how much water holds how fast the water moves through the profile so it becomes a challenge uh, where we place the fertilizer and when we do it versus when I got my heavy ground where, you know, you go out there and you dry fertilize this and 
put on that and it holds there where the sandy ground it's a whole different ball game you know you, you talk about that that sand or blow sand ground you've had some pretty tough droughts come through california here in recent years yeah. uh, i i know what happens to to lighter soils in our part of the world when we get a drought it makes management very very difficult yes now that's where uh in like in the orchards we have uh water meters where we can see where the moisture's at throughout the, uh, the depths of the four feet and it becomes the management strategy you know uh, what's, the, what's the, the heat of the day going to be like where, what stage the crop is in take all these factors together try to make your best uh, possible guess of what you could do to help that crop make it to the end of the season when it's in situations like that you know the the Growers that have really light soils, a lot of times they'll say, oh, man, you guys with heavy CECs, uh, high exchange capacity soil, you're so lucky because your soil holds more water and holds more nutrients. But yet time and time again, I see a lot of yield champs on some of these really light soils. It it doesn't really matter if your soil is heavy or light. If you manage it well, you can be successful. Yes, it's all, it's all about, it's about the nutrients in the soil. I got guys on heavy ground that rock and roll. I got guys in medium ground that are, are great producers. I got guys in sand ground that produce big crops. It's just it's management to the different CECs of those places. I mean, I, my favorite kind of CECs is give me a 10 to 20. And those ranches, to me, rock and roll the best. They hold just enough moisture. You can get back in the field faster. You know, a sandy ground like down here, we could irrigate. The next day be out there mowing the weeds if you want. You know, that's how. But then you get to the heavy ground where you can't go out there for days. So there's... Every CEC has its characteristics, and then it's balancing those characteristics to make that crop that you have do what it needs to do. Now, when it comes to a nutrient like nitrogen, for example, we got a lot of crops that need some nitrogen, but when you think, oh, no, i got a really light soil, how am I going to manage that? Trying to put small amounts out, put them out right when the, the crop is going to need them, that's important. Do, do a lot of guys use stabilizers as well? Or are they using just low rates of fertilizer when it comes to some of these leachables? How, how do they manage that? Yeah, we, we use stabilizers. We use small amounts. If they're running in the irrigation, we'll, we'll control the nitrogen throughout the irrigation through the growing season. Uh, like now in the winter here, with the, with the winter forages and the trees going to be waking up here in Jan, late January, early February, we do like a lot of ammonium sulfate. It's going to hang around for a while. It's positive. It's not going to leach. Or we use coated urea. Uh, we use all those different things to help us out to keep that nitrogen in that ground. Depending on the rain, like you guys know, depending on the rain, they get a big storm, we could push stuff where we don't really want it yet. Right, right, absolutely. You know, when you've got what you call blow sand, do you find things like phosphorus and copper move very much, or are they still fairly immobile even in the lighter soils? They're semi, you know, a little more immobile. They're more mobile than they are in the heavier ground. But it's it, the whole thing of the sand is having all those nutrients as close as you can, and you never load up too much on one element. You got to be you got to be cautious of what you're doing so you don't push one element real fast out of the way. I mean, you go out there and put out 500 pounds of SOP, you've just blown out your all the other nutrients that are going to be out of whack. It's more of a spoon feed control control the amount of fertilizer or pounds of nutrients you want to put out in the sandy ground. Versus you're doing on a heavy ground where it can hold it a lot longer. 
Yeah, there there are just differences out there, and you get so many different crops that you get to work with, and and different soils you get to work with. I I just think if I was a young guy and I wanted to get into agronomy, that it'd almost blow my mind to get to work in that environment. Paul, how long does it take until you really start feeling comfortable and feeling like okay, I can handle just about anything that comes my way? We're still learning. <laughs> we're always learning. We're always learning what we do. As soon as you get confident, then you find out. Okay, I can make. Oh, I can do this. Making this better. You know, we're always looking to bet. You know, to better our ways out so for the farmers, for the inputs, for you know, quality of feed and food that we produce. Uh, the nice thing about California, yeah, is like right now our our tree crops are asleep, but we got winter forage out there growing. Uh, I got vegetables going around, you know, year round. So there's always something happening. So it, it, you don't get, you know. It's not the same path every day, you know. One at a time is some more of the vegetables and some other stuff, and during the season you got everything going on. So it's it's a wave of, wave you got to ride. Yeah, it is a it is a continuous learning process. There's no doubt about that. And I know, like we're talking about exchange capacity, and you can influence it a little bit. But do you ever see that change a lot on soils or, or you kind of have an idea, hey, this is a five to seven CEC here that I'm working with. And, and this one's a 15 to a 20 most years. Uh, they kind of stay within that range. I don't see big movements. I see more of the big movements on the heavier stuff, you know, where, you know, you start off where it's a 40, but you do the cat eye exchange and it's dropped down into the 30s. And then as you change things, but even those, once you get them set, set, they don't move much. They'll flex back two or three, you know, numbers back and forth. And the sandy ground we'll use in the trees or even in like vegetable, vegetables, and we'll put like some kind of compost to give us another false teeth either for a little bit. It's going to hold water for us a little bit until it completely breaks down. So that compost helps in sandy ground, and that way it gives us a little bit more moisture holding capacity. Yeah, a lot of little tricks to the trade, no doubt about it. And uh, we're talking with with one of those guys that knows a lot of those tricks. It's Paul Borges out in California. Uh, Paul, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. I know, like you said, it's uh, there's always something going on in California agriculture. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. All right, you guys have a good year. You bet. You as well. You know, Brian, uh, Paul was talking about his favorite CECs to work with or, or when they've got a little bit of holding capacity, maybe in the 10 to 20 range. Everybody's got their preference on which soils are easy. We've got a lot of variable soils where we're at. We've got some yep. really heavy river bottom ground. We've got some sandy hills as you come up out of that river bottom ground. I think it's been really fun to just to give us an opportunity to learn. Well, Darren likes to always look on the bright side of things, and I just say we have a lot of challenges, so we call that fun and uh, learning. But yeah, it's most people would say I hate dealing with variable soils because even in the same field, I'm having issues with the planter in some areas. Other areas, it's just fine. Well, I'm going to switch closing wheels. Well, they don't work here, and oh, they work good over here. So there are a lot of a lot of issues that you have with that. But yes, we have learned quite a few good lessons that have helped us do well on our other acres. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The hardworking, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma.
Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year. BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. If you look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agro-liquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential, maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less, expect more, precisely. Find an AgroLiquid dealer at agroliquid.com. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking a little bit about one of those things on your soil tests that you may or may not have paid a lot of attention to. It's the exchange capacity. And we look at cation exchange capacity or total exchange capacity as a really good tool in making recommendations for farms. So a lot of times we'll be talking to farmers and say, man, I wish you had a complete soil test. Or if you haven't run one yet, make sure you run a complete test. And I know someone that, that shares that uh, that same enthusiasm about getting a good soil test is Kyle Long with Kinsey Ag. Kyle, how you doing? I'm good, Darren. Neil and I are just down in Arkansas doing a job, so. <laughs> yeah, always. Busy as always. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so talk to us about that soil test, because I know that's one of the things, uh, if we're talking to Neil Kinsey or we're talking with you, Kyle, that it, it's uh-huh. always, hey, make sure we get a good soil test here that accurately represents what's going on. And, and talk to us about the exchange capacity and why that's a big part of that. Okay, well, there's an easy answer and a more technical answer. The easy answer is the exchange capacity is the amount of clay in a soil. 
And what that means and why that's important is the clay is special out of the three particle sizes being sand, silt, and clay that has negative sites that allow for those cations or positively charged minerals to attract and hold to. And so that gives us a kind of a reservoir of nutrients to uh, exchange off of and get into the plant. And the difference in our exchange capacities, you see a lot of places do CEC or cation exchange capacity versus total exchange capacity. Well, I think of it like cation exchange capacity being what is measured and total exchange capacity being what is needed to be measured. So we're basically trying to figure out how many negative sites there are in that soil, which is representative of that soil type. So total exchange capacity combines all uh, cations that are nutrient available in that soil with cation exchange capacity being representative of whatever that lab feels like is going to represent that 100% of the total negative sites or how much clay is in there. That can be just you know calcium, magnesium, potassium, and maybe or maybe not include sodium. But we include the sodium, hydrogen, all of the uh, micronutrients, all the metals, in our total exchange capacity. Yeah, there's a lot of things out there going on in the soil. And one of the things that I, I find interesting, too, when we talk about soil is to talk about that uh, electrical charge, that you've got negatively charged uh, clay particles out there holding positively charged nutrients. And if we mm -hmm. understand how many of those positive charges we can hold, it makes a lot of sense. Now, are all those negative charges tied up at all times, or are there some open negative charges out there just waiting for you to apply some fertilizer? There's so many minerals in that soil present underneath our feet that at any given time, there's something attached to those clay colloids, whether it be hydrogen or some other form of inherent parental material or mineral that is already in there. So it's either there from inherently whenever it was formed, that soil was formed, or from some man-made chemical fertilizer or compound breaking down by that microbiology and getting put onto the colloid from whatever is being taken in by that solution. Yeah, really excited. We're, we're having another Kinsey Ag Seminar here uh, right right at the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site coming up in February. Kyle's going to be one of the speakers there. Uh, we're visiting with Kyle Long here with, with Kinsey Ag. And Kyle, one of the things I was thinking about is just the hierarchy of the cations that are going to be uh, attaching to these clay particles and coming off of them. Uh, I know you get a lot of questions around this about, okay, if I have too much of one or the other, uh, how do I get that soil to switch out and give up the sodium and add in some more calcium or, or whatever nutrient that, that's farthest out of balance? How, how does that work? Well, generally, I'd hate to say that it's by overcrowding whatever is uh, the nutrient that is lacking, but I guess for lack of a better term, that's the easiest way to think about it is that if we're fighting, let's say, like in the Midwest, a high magnesium environment, we need to keep some fresh calcium available for whenever that magnesium finally comes off that colloid, that that calcium can come and replace its site, that site that it was currently on, or that it was once on. And it does that because magnesium is not going to be bullied. It is the bully. So basically, if there's room for it, the magnesium is going to bully everything to get onto that. And that's at the detriment of calcium and other other nutrients that way. So that's just kind of an easy way that I think about it is that 
whatever we're putting on, we need to kind of make sure that it is going to be the next in line to get onto that clay colloid, that po- that positively charged ion. So, Yeah, there are a lot of different things that we're looking at on soil tests. We're talking about the exchange capacity on today's program. And Kyle, the, the fun thing too is you get to work with soils from literally all over the world. And when you think about uh, different areas, I can think about as uh, Paul Borges was just on, he said blow sand in their area. And I can also think of uh, heavy gumbo soils and those types of things uh, where where you guys are from down in Missouri. Uh, what I guess, how do you do that? How do you make recommendations that work for one soil type or the other, or are they just completely different every time when you're looking at one extreme or the other? Well, everything has a certain formula that we uh, can follow and a certain uh, technical aspect. Uh, as the exchange capacity goes down, that is indicative, uh, indicative of a sandier soil environment and the sand has less negative charges to hold those positively charged ions, but it doesn't take as much to actually change that structure because what we're after really with those negative charge sites, that clay, is we're after manipulating what clay is present in the soil to create the ideal air and water environment for the microbiology and that plant root. And as that exchange goes higher, that means the soil gets tighter and we need to manage it a little bit differently based on mostly the interactions of calcium, magnesium, and then making sure that we have enough nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium to actually grow the crop. So it all kind of relates in together. The better soil structure we have, the better efficiency and effectiveness of our fertilization, but we have to feed the crop as well to make money. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just was talking about how uh, a lot of high yields are coming off low CEC or low TEC soils, uh, but th- that doesn't mean you have to have a light soil to get high yields. You, you certainly have a lot of advantages in the, the higher exchange capacity soils too. And and in my mind, Kyle, a little more forgiveness that you got a little more time. Yeah. It, it's harder to move things, but at least you don't have to make all the quick decisions every week throughout the growing season. You have a bigger refrigerator to keep the food in, that's for sure. Yeah, there are a lot of different challenges here, and, and so we, we always recommend taking a complete soil analysis and including the exchange capacity on there. Uh, the other thing is organic matter and humus, Kyle. And uh, mm-hmm. I know Paul was saying, boy, we use some compost in some of these lighter soils to at least for a short period of time hold on to some things. If we can build up that humus level, we got a chance of making uh, any soil a little better holder. Yeah, right. It it basically, that comes down to, it's kind of difficult to uh, build organic matter in a light, sandy environment. And generally, you see more inherent uh, organic matter levels or humus levels in your higher exchange soils, your, your heavier soils. But I think compost, as long as you can stand the phosphorus, then uh, you're going to help build and feed that microbiology that's already in there because it's already in a plant available form. It's already went through an animal and anything that's already been metabolized through a living thing is instantly available and able to be uh, taken in by either the plant or the microbiology. It doesn't have to work to convert it. And so that will give incentive for the microbiology to go up into that aerobic zone and to stay there and where that buffet is and uh, where that proper air is and take from that buffet that you're giving it. 
Yeah, there's so much to know about soils. It's why we've been so lucky to have uh, Neil Kinsey and his team come do seminars with us each year. Uh, Kyle Long, of course, being part of that team. Uh, and Kyle will be up speaking in February at the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. You can find all the details at agphd.com. Hey, Kyle, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you soon. All right. Thanks, Darren. Looking forward to it. You bet. Talking about cation exchange capacity in soils on today's program and also taking your calls and questions. I know we got some soil tests that have come in already. We'll be discussing those and, and keeping our phone lines open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. My mom's got a new case I extractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Do you want to optimize the amount of plant nutrition provided by the microbes in your soil? Source it. Want to replace 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre? Source it. Looking for a more cost-effective way to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI? Source it. Easy to handle, apply, and store. To make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Learn more at sound.ag. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Planting preparation starts as soon as harvest ends. So do successful at-plant strategies. Put time on your side with at-plant inputs, insights, and innovations that help you make the most of next season's planting pass. You're already thinking about seed, inputs, and crop protection when you plan your season. Include them all in your planter to give yourself an at-plant advantage that pays off at harvest. Always read and follow all label directions.
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Before we do, just to wrap things up on cation exchange capacity. If you test your soil for cation exchange capacity, or like Kyle Long was talking about, total exchange capacity, just understand that number is not going to change. It's going to take a long time for it to change. So where I'm going with this is you don't have to test for that every year. I mean, we always have it on our test just because they include it. It's no big deal. Plus, if I've got it right there and I don't have to look up, well, what was the test from two years ago? That makes it a lot simpler. So we just encourage you get cat exchange capacity or total exchange capacity tested on a regular basis so we know what it is. And when you send a soil test, we've got that because that is one of the first things we're going to look at. Do you have heavy soil or light soil according to your CEC or TEC. That is a really big thing. I'll also say, some people may tell you, oh, it's not important to know your cation exchange capacity or your total exchange capacity. Come on. If you don't know if you're dealing with heavy soil or light soil, I don't know how you can make proper recommendations. You have to have this. It's an absolute requirement in your soil testing. Now, I will also say, occasionally, Darren and I will get emails, calls, and people say, well, I don't know. You said can I exchange capacity wouldn't change much, but two years ago when I had my soil testing done, it said 20, and this year it says 15. <laughs> Look, if it's ever changing that much, I'll promise you, it didn't actually change that much. What happened is the soil test was pulled in a different spot. This is why we always like seeing soil tests done using GPS. And I don't care how big or small your grid or zone is, you always want to have a GPS point. You go right to that point. You pull 10 or 12 cores right around that point, And now you got it. And then it's repeatable. So you can track how are we doing over time. All right. I think that's about all we got on cation exchange capacity. Let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right. This question comes in from Darren out in Illinois. And he said, all right, guys, um, is there a herbicide that will kill henbit and chickweed, but not kill fall-seeded clover? I also have oats and radishes and wheat out there, and I don't care about any of those. The oats and radishes are going to win or kill anyway. But if we could knock out the henbit and chickweed and leave the clover alone, that would be great. Pursuit. There's your answer. Pursuit or raptor. So pursuit and raptor, a lot of people will complain that, well, they're, they won't kill ALS-resistant weeds. Just like say, that's just like saying, well, Roundup doesn't kill weeds anymore because we've got water hemp <laughs> or whatever. I, I mean, it, Pursuit still kills literally hundreds of different weed species. It's really good, and it has activity in both henbit and chickweed. So use that. It's pretty decent. And no, it's not going to kill your kochia or water hemp. It is, on the other hand, going to kill, what else did he say he had in there? Oats, wheat, radishes. radishes. Yeah, they're all dead. But- um, at least you would save your clover. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> being honest with you. You're going to kill everything other than the clover. All right. Um, that's, okay, there's your easy question. Here, Here is a little more complicated question. This one comes in from Matthew. That was and, an easy question. I answered it so quickly that you didn't even know what to do. You weren't ready to go with the next no, question. I so I've I got it right here. I'll just elaborate I have more. it right here. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> the papers get shuffled a little bit. I've got this all printed up. Okay. Um, any idea what the salt level would equate to here? I've got some samples 
of uh, manure, dairy manure, and also uh, some blood wastewater that's mixed in the pit sample. Now that happens to be pretty high in nitrogen and salt, but not curious yep. or just kind of curious what's that get them out to on a per acre basis. Well, it all depends on how much of that is getting out there on a per acre basis. So I didn't see a manure, a regular manure sample, unless I missed that somewhere. Uh, but I'll put it this way. If, well, or unless this other sheet is that for the manure, but I'm that doesn't have it. salt. Okay, but that doesn't have salt on there, so that doesn't help me much. It, here's, here's one of the things, too. And I see we've got tests from different labs here. We'd really encourage you, when you whenever you test manure... Whatever lab you go with, please tell them, look, the most important thing I have to have is how much salt I'm going to apply. And I don't need some ridiculous scientific number with, you know, this thing over that thing that I don't understand. Just tell me plain and simple, how many pounds of salt am I going to get for every ton of dry or every 1,000 pounds of liquid? So he did have a sample of this blood waste done it midwest labs it tells us how much salt per thousand gallons so the only question is how much are you putting on i don't know uh so you you just have to ask that question how much are we getting out there but it was 101 pounds per thousand gallons and we talk about this often but it'll tell you right on a midwest labs manure test at the bottom it'll say total manure salts should not exceed 500 pounds and you should actually be less than 500 pounds if annual rainfall is less than 25 or CEC, our topic today, is less than 12. So if you have light soil or you get less than 25 inches, you shouldn't even put 500 pounds of salt on. So anyway, my point here is 5,000 gallons would get you right at 500 pounds of salt. So if you're putting that with other manure, you better not be getting 500 pounds of salt with just this alone. So you just have to run some calculations and kind of go from there. Right, oh, but anyway, I, I, I would say I, I have never seen a test done on blood wastewater before, and and I've read up on it just a little bit, and it is high in nitrogen and salt, to Darren's point. So it looks like it would be good for the soil for the most part as long as you don't overdo it. Sorry, go ahead. All right. Uh, this one comes in from Lloyd. He's up in north central South Dakota. He said, hey, guys, I have some questions concerning tiling. I don't have any easements on my land that I'm wanting to tile, but I'm getting a lot of static from the NRCS or the government. So I'm wondering, what kind of hoops should I expect to have to jump through before I can tile some low spots in my land? Well, if you're not in the government farm program, you can probably just go tile as long as your county doesn't have some ordinance that you need to get downstream permission or anything like that. So that that's one of the things you got to check. What are the county regulations? If you want to remain in the government farm program, you'll probably want to have them do a wetland assessment. So if they do a wetland determination for you and you find you have no wetlands out there, you're good to go. Now, I will say we've had um, people from NRCS speak at our tiling clinics in the past. And one of the things uh, the, the, the head person for the state of North Dakota said a few years ago to us is she goes, well, keep in mind, it's the burden is technically on us to prove that you have a wetland out there rather than you to prove you don't. So she goes, you can go ahead and tile if you want, if you don't think there are any wetlands out there. And I go, whoa, 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 
we don't want to get people doing something that later uh, you might come back and say, well, you're in trouble for this. And she goes, well, that that's up to you. But she just said, if you want to go tile right now, you can. And if at some point we determine that, oh, there was a wetland out there, well, then, yeah, we'd have a little bit of an issue. So those are really the, the two main things that I know of. And then it all depends on where the water's going and, it, you know, do you have to go like under a road or anything? So like on our own farm, we've had to get permission from county, state, township for highways or roads. County um, ordinance in the past used to require us to get a permit. We don't have to do that anymore in our county. And then the other thing, like I say, is NRCS. So those are uh, those are the hoops you may potentially have to jump through. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, Brian. A lot of a lot of folks we've worked with have been surprised when they've talked to neighbors saying, "Oh, you can tile, or you can get a tile plow or a contractor to come in our area. I'm interested in tying on with you." And it's really good, especially if you've got well upstream or downstream neighbors. Talk to them up front because they may want to join in. It's a lot cheaper if you know up front, ooh, I guess we better have an 8-inch line or a 10-inch line here to be able to handle us all. Or, hey, we should probably right. lay two 6-inch lines or whatever, or two 8-inch lines to be able to handle this. Definitely. So talk to your neighbors. That's our recommendation. All right. Always lots of questions around drainage. Thanks for that one, Lloyd. We really appreciate that. If you've got a question for us, you can call us. Our phone lines are open right now at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back after this. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. <laughs> we field heaven! Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. 
Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash base. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. Join us in Houston for the 2024 Commodity Classic, New Frontiers in Agriculture. We'll close out the show on Saturday at the Houston Rodeo, the world's largest rodeo and livestock exhibition. Join us February 28th through March 2nd. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for listening today. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD and taking your emails radio at agphd.com. Let's head back to the phone lines here. Got a friend, Mark, over in Wisconsin. Happy New Year, Mark. Good to hear from you. Happy New Year, Darren. Good to hear from you. Uh, so this is what I kind of, over Christmas and the holidays and throughout the year, um, this non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and all these, we'll call them scaremonger tactics, have my friends and relatives all worked up about, oh my God, Roundup is so horrible and and all that stuff. And then, you know, I don't really want to get into debates with people at Christmas and New Year's, but I do want to kind of have the facts straight so I can sure. address their concerns. Yep, yep. And... I've seen you guys talk on your show where Roundup has a LD50 that is greater than coffee, I think it is. Greater than caffeine, yep. Or, oh, meaning, greater than meaning caffeine. caffeine. Meaning caffeine is more dangerous than the active ingredient in Roundup, dose for dose. Okay, so... I guess I'm a little bit confused about. Not suggesting you that. drink uh, Roundup in your coffee. No, 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 I'm not either. I'm not, no, no, that's not where I, I'm going. I with know this. you're not. I know you're not, Mark. I, I know. Just how do you talk through this? And, you know, I guess one thing that's kind of been interesting about this too, because we've had a lot of those same kinds of conversations and we've had folks that have called in or, or emailed in uh, wanting to, to discuss this. And a lot of times when you look at the acute oral toxicity of Roundup represented by the LD 50, it's, it's 5,000 milligrams per kilogram. And with caffeine, it's 200 milligrams per kilogram, which means it's 25 times. No. Yeah. 25 times more dangerous than than the active ingredient in Roundup is. But people just 
don't want to hear that. And they, they're like, no, that can't be. There's no way. But uh, you can just look at the government's data. If you just look up the, the testing done by the, uh, what would it be, the FDA in that case, Brian, or the EPA? Everybody has testing data, FDA, EPA, Department of Ag. But yeah, I don't know who is most responsible for that. I think it's EPA for pesticide labeling. It's FDA when food tolerances food tolerances are involved. And the whole thing, Mark, is are, are there all kinds of stories out there? You bet there are. You can go to the internet and you can find yeah. stories about anything and everything and basically everything in the world is going to kill you. I, glyphosate right. included. Uh, but the fact of the matter is there's no government agency in the world yet that has found that glyphosate causes cancer. It takes... What about the... Go ahead. What about the World Health Organization? Oh, they just say it's a probable cancer causer and they have a whole bunch of other things out there that are probable cancer causers that we use every day in the house. So, okay. I, I mean, they, they have... But they can't prove it. So when they say, oh, it's probable, yeah, they have a whole bunch of other things that people normally use too. So that's what I would encourage people to look at. Just go to their entire list of things that are probable cancer causers, and anybody can say that. Well, They're saying it without data. So that's the frustrating part. But, I, I mean, I get it. People are concerned about glyphosate, but how much glyphosate could you possibly ever get in you. So what I always encourage people to do is, hey, why don't, how about this? Why don't you just take your food and go test it and have it tested for glyphosate? They'll test it for you. And you can test it clear down to parts per billion, even if you want to. And then the next question is, what are food tolerances? And that's the thing that, like I come back to, FDA and EPA uh, are working jointly on this, as far as I know, uh, to prove out all right, what can we have for a food tolerance out there? So here, here's here's my point and where I'm going with this. One of the things that our dad always talked to us about on the farm is he said, boys, just remember, the dose makes the poison. I bet I heard that a million times growing up. So if you get some tiny little dose of anything, I don't care what, caffeine, for example, if you have a small dose, if you have a cup of coffee or two, you're not going to die. But I'll tell you what, there is a level where you drink enough, you're dead. Same thing with anything, right. even water. So we that's why you hear all the time from doctors and health people, you know, do things in moderation. When you do things in moderation, yep. usually you're going to be just fine. But so, and I understand that, but what I'm trying to figure out is the actual, I'm still a little bit foggy on the actual numbers of, like, is this, like, how much... How much does it take to kill concentrated you? caffeine, like, how much concentrated caffeine is in a cup of coffee and how much yep. concentrated caffeine is in, or how much concentrated Roundup is in, say... Yep, how much would you have to How much concentrated... Yeah. Yep, yep, I'm totally with you. Um Let's see. I have something here that I had ready to go for a presentation I'm going to be giving later this month. And for caffeine, it would take roughly 180 cups of coffee in one sitting to give you a 50% chance of death. Cups uh, coffee. So, yep, 180 cups of coffee. They, those would be, what, six-ounce cups? 
I don't I, I don't remember a standard cup of coffee and that, and it, see okay. it varies because the caffeine level is different. So that's where literally you could take some of these energy drinks and I'll tell you what it wouldn't take 180 of those it might take about 20 or 30 of those and you got a 50% chance of death. So don't quote well, me on that but I'm simply saying I don't saying, know if it even take that many. Yeah. <laughs> I'm simply saying Yeah, they're pretty caffe- bad. Right. Caffeine is 200 milligrams per kilogram. So for me I weigh roughly 200 pounds. If I get if I ingest 0.64 ounces in one sitting, I got a 50% chance of death. 0.64 ounces of actual caffeine. By the way, nicotine is 0.16 is all it would take. Gasoline is 0.06. And vitamin D, believe it or not, that many doctors prescribe to people, it's only 0.032 ounces give a 50% chance of death to a 200-pound person. So, and this is the whole thing. So when people hear things like that, I I mean, oh, we could do a show and we could scare the pants off of anybody in the world to literally take anything or even step outside the house. If you see where I'm going with this, again, the dose makes the poison. So we can talk about all kinds of stuff. There's there's danger all over this world. What we're trying to do is minimize the danger, minimize the risk. And when you look at in terms of pesticides, there are a lot of things that, I mean, quite frankly, are way more potent than even the pesticides we're using. For example, and not to pick on this company or anything, but this is just one of the things I had for my presentation, OxyClean. It only takes 5.8 ounces of that to give a 50% chance of death for a 200-pound person. Well, with glyphosate, it's 18 ounces. It's three times the dose. So, I mean, are we going to stop using OxyClean? Are we going to stop taking Tylenol or drinking caffeine? Or for some people who like to smoke. Now, granted, I mean, that, that may kill you over 30 years, but I'm talking about killing you today. And there okay. there's a level of anything that will kill you today. Even water, for example. It would take 18 pounds of water right now if I sat down and drank 18 pounds of water, which you'd say, wow, you're never going to do that. Well, that's only two and a half gallons. If I literally sat down right now and drank a two and a half gallon jug of water over the next, let's call it half hour, I'd have a 50% chance of death. Everything can kill you. So 18... So 18 ounces of pure glyphosate yep. would give you a 50% chance of death. Yep. So let's say it's a 3% concentration. That's going to be... Well, okay. So I'll tell you what, Mark. Uh, we got to wrap things up for the show today. Okay, we can, we can revisit this. Yep, we can we can send you some stuff. If we don't have your email, leave your email address with Janelle, and uh, and we'll get back to you with more details. All right, thanks, okay. Mark. Deeply appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to our show today. It's fun talking about cation exchange capacity and always interesting once we get into the Ag PhD mailbag with all the questions out there. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.